Uh, we are in week two of our series, For the One, and uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. John chapter 9, and we're going to read uh, 1 through 9, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll jump into it. So here's what it says, John chapter 9, verse 1 through 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins or his parents' sins? And this is something very familiar in this time culture. They, they, they believed in like this idea of karma, right? Almost like is, is the reason why this guy's blind because, because of karma, because of something that, uh, that this person did. And I think that if you and I, if we're not careful, we can begin to think that that's how Jesus and God operates. That if I'm, it, that, that it's karma, if I don't go to church, I'm going to have a flat tire. If I don't pray for my food, I'm going to get E. coli. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and so this is kind of what, was, what they're displaying. And so Jesus answered, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sin. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. So, so the, the, the disciples are like, is there, is there a reason why this guy is going through this painful situation? And Jesus, in this moment, he, he, he says, no, there's a purpose. There's a purpose. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. And Jesus says, I love this because I read it uh, in, in a funny way. He says, but while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. And so he's like, we got to hurry, but since I'm here... We'll do something about it. And here's what he did in verse six, 6. Then Jesus spit on the ground. He made mud with the saliva. Welcome, visitors. Um, and spread the mud over the blind man's eye. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. I am the same one. This morning, I want to talk to you briefly from the subject, the power of your story. The power of your story. Let's pray one more time, and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunity that we have to come together to worship you freely. God, we pray that you would just, uh, uh, just, just speak to our hearts, speak to our spirits right now, God. Holy Spirit, we honor you as our guest of honor uh, this morning. You know what each and every person in this room is going through, the baggage that they came with, the weights that they came with. And God, you know that I cannot clearly and articulate and articulately uh, speak to each situation. But Holy Spirit, I know that you can. And so I pray that you give me strength to do what I can do and that you would do what only you can do. God, we want to leave changed. We want to leave here better, but not for our own benefit, but so that we can change the world around us. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, come on, everyone said. Amen, amen. Hey, guys, I have a confession. I love the fact 
that my kids are still at the age where they lean into stories that I tell them. I assume that as they get older, there will be a time when I share with them my stories and they're like, Dad, that's lame. I don't care about walking in the snow barefoot. Come on. A <laughs> hundred miles. But uphill, thank you. I, I'm sure that there is a time in life when, when they no longer find my stories interesting. But I am sure glad and I'm sure grateful that, that in this moment, in this season, that they still find my stories appealing. Not only do they find my stories appealing, but they, they allow these, my, my stories are still powerful enough to persuade them in the direction that I feel like they need to go. Come on, somebody. For instance, for instance, uh, my grandparents, they live in San Francisco and they live on top of a hill. And uh, one day, a while back, my, we were bringing my kids to, to go see their great grandparents and um, and, and my son was like, hey, Dad, I just want to take my skateboard. I want to take a skateboard, and I would love to go down that hill. And I said, oh, would you? Really? <laughs> and I said, uh, you know what? It's funny enough, I have a story about that. And I told him about the story when I was about 12, 13 years old. I had rollerblades on. How many of you guys were rollerbladers? Yeah, yeah, not, not the little the four wheels that are side by, like the roller, roller blades. I had my roller blades on it, and I was at my grandparents' house. And uh, we, they, they, again, they, we were at the top of the hill, and um, I had this crazy idea. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down this hill with my roller blades on because I wanted to impress my grandparents. And so, like, I remember I'm like, and my grandma, she was like, she was like, don't do it. You're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt yourself. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, it's going to be okay. It'll be fine. This is what I do. I'm a, I'm a kid. I live on the edge. Ah. And uh, I disobeyed, and I started going. Just, how do you, is that how you do it? I don't even remember now. Uh, but I, I'm like, I'm going down the hill, and at first I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And then I realized I was getting too much speed. And I was like, oh, wow, this is going really fast. And then uh, I remember, like, forgetting completely how to brake. And so, like, I began panicking as I'm, like, going down the hill. And, uh, and I was like, man, the only way that I can save myself was there's this street sign, this pole. And I said, well, maybe the pole can stop me. And so I reached out as I was going like 100 miles an hour down this hill. <laughs> it felt like 100 miles. And the pole came, and I, and I reached out, and I grabbed the pole. I did not count for momentum because as I grabbed the pole, God is my witness. I grabbed it, and I began to swing and I was like, I came in like a wrecking ball, and pop, right into the car that was right next to that pole. And I'm on the ground like, right, like, it was horrible. And uh, in fact, I have a bruise, or excuse me, a scar on my elbow, and it's in the shape of an F. And like, kid you not, you can afterwards, if you, if you feel so inclined, you can be like, hey, let me see that. Um, <laughs> 
I will first look at you weird, and then I will show you, but but it's like a shape of an F, and every time I look at it, it reminds me how I failed <laughs> in that event. And I, so I was like on the ground. I was all bloody, and my grandma's like, I told you, and I'm like, ah. and, uh, and so I'm telling my son this, and I show him my scar, and he's like, Dad, you're right. I don't want to do it. And I said, praise God for stories. But here's, here's why I tell you this, not, not so that you feel sorry for me, um, but because I, I want you to understand that there's power in your story. In fact, not only is there power in your story, but every one of us in this room, those that are viewing us online, you have a story to tell. Now, uh, in fact, the story that you have to tell, um, it, it, not, not is it just very powerful, not is it only powerful, but but your story is currently unfolding before your eyes. In fact, your story has a beginning, the moment you were born. It's eventually going to have an end, be encouraged. <laughs> but in between the beginning of your story and the end of your story lies this big portion, the, the middle of your story. And within the middle of the story, that, that's where life really happens. That's where a lot of the story, majority of your story unfolds. In, in, in the middle, in the middle of it. Now, here's what I know to be true, that in the middle, the middle portion of your story, uh, there, there are moments, there are chapters, there are pages in your life, in your story. And so I'm using those words synonymously. Like, there, 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 there are times in your story that are full of joy. There, there's times in your story, I know sometimes we forget, but there's times in your story that, that are happy moments, that are joyful moments, that when we think about it, we smile. There, there's times that in your story where, where it's, just, it's great things that are happening. Now, some of you, y'all got a paragraph of that in your story. Some of you have pages. Some of y'all have chapters. But there's these moments in the middle of our story, man, that, that when we look back, when we read it back, we're like, oh. You guys could probably think of a few of them right now as I'm speaking about this, like happy times. But I would be amiss to, to not realize that alongside having these, these happy moments in our life, in our story, there's also moments of sadness, moments of tragedy, moments of death, moments of betrayal, moments of disappointment. And again, some of you, you have in the story of life, you have some of you in here, there's paragraphs of those, of sad times. Some of you, you have like chapters of hard times. And, and in your story, there's these moments of highs and lows. And in these moments of stories, like I, I call these, these, these hard times, these sad times, moments of tension. We have these moments of tension in our story. And depending on how 
the character in any story, any movie, depending on how they handle the moments of tension, it really um, determines the quality of the ending of the story. Have you realized that? In, in, in any story, how the character, how you, uh, how you handle the tension, those, those hard moments, those, those tense moments in your story, how you handle them, how you respond to them, how I respond to them, will determine the quality of the end of the story. Now, I think of the movie Spider-Man, the one that just came out, and this is going to be a spoiler, but if you haven't seen it by now, it's your fault, okay? I'm just, I'm putting it out there. It's been out for like three years now. And so um, there's a moment when, when Peter Parker, his aunt dies, and, and she's like, and, she, and he's like holding her, and he's like, don't die. And she's like, I'm going to die. I, I don't think that's exact dialogue. Um, but, but, but I remember, like in this, in this scene, she's like, he's like, I should have I handled this uh, the different, a different way. And she, she says something along the lines as this. She says, she says, no, what you did was right. And then... Like, she dies, and he's crying. And this is a tense moment in the story. This, these are the moments in the story where, depending on how Peter Parker uh, acts, will determine the end of the story. And so throughout the time when she dies until the end of the movie, Peter Parker, he's wanting to kill her. Not kill her. What, what am I saying? <laughs> Yeah, he, he wants to take out the person that killed his aunt. And then he, and then he gets to the end, and, and he's fighting the person that, that killed her, and he, like, he has the opportunity. He has the opportunity to take this person out. And in this moment, Peter Parker has to decide if what, if, if, if the painful moment that he experienced if there was going to be purpose in it or if it was going to be for nothing. And what he ended up doing, he assigned purpose to it. And rather than killing this person, this got dark as I'm talking real quick. Like, I, I apologize. Um, as, and, and instead of, instead of uh, killing this person, he did what was right. He did what his aunt asked him to do all along. And, and the reason why I'm telling you this is because what I've discovered is, is that painful moments, let me, let me rephrase that, painful moments that are given purpose can make for a powerful story. L let me say that again. Painful moments that are given purpose can make for a powerful story. Now, before I go any further, I, I want to make sure that you know that I am not discrediting your painful moments. I am not telling you that the painful moments that you've gone through were not hard. I'm not saying that the painful moments that you have gone through were easy. 
I'm not saying that, that the painful moments, like that you, would, you wouldn't even want to take it back if you possibly could. That's, I don't want to discredit what you've gone through. But I do want to establish the fact that if you could learn to place purpose over that painful situation, that it can lead to a powerful story. And that purpose, but I'll never see purpose without the correct perspective. So let's put that all together. Painful moments that are given purpose can make for a powerful story. But I'll never see the purpose without the correct perspective. I think about Joseph in the Bible. He, he was the guy, if you're unfamiliar with this story, he was the one that had brothers. He was the youngest of the brothers. And the brothers got a little bit of jealous because they knew that daddy loved the youngest more. And so they were like, hey, we're going to kill Joseph. And then they're like, well, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Maybe that was a little just overreacting, you know. Eat a Snickers, right? And, and so, so they decided to just like beat him up, throw him in the pit. Now, in Joseph's mind, his perspective in this moment, my brothers hate me. They tried to kill me. They're trying to sell me off. His perspective is very limited in this moment. Are you with me? Like all he can see is the pit that he's in. All he can see is the pain that he's surrounded by. Like in his mind, there is no purpose for why he's experiencing what he's experiencing. And again, if, if I don't have the correct perspective... My painful moments seem like I go, for the, go through them for no reason. And Joseph, he had to get a different perspective. See, we have the luxury as we read this story, we have this luxury of knowing that Joseph, hey, you're in this pit for a purpose. That Joseph, like you're in this pit because you're going to be sold to Egypt, and that's going to be horrible, but you're going to be eventually elevated to second in command over Egypt. And I know you can't see this now, Joseph, but if you can just get a different perspective, if you can just understand, Joseph, that there's purpose, that God can turn your painful moments, and he can give it a purpose. Joseph, you got to have the right perspective. See, because the wrong perspective always leads to a frustrating ending. The wrong perspective always leads to a frustrating ending. And so... This morning, what I want us to do is, is, is to understand, again, not to diminish the pain that you or I have gone through, but to understand, man, God, can you, can you redeem my painful story so that it can have a purpose? So that I can use my pain and my hurt for a purpose? 
Because when I can do that, it becomes powerful. And so that's what we see in John chapter 9, the story that we read at the very beginning. Uh, this man, he was blind his entire life. In fact, not only was he blind, apparently, as we read in, in the text, that his parents, they, they were like, dude, we don't even want you around. And so not only was he born blind, not only was he rejected by his parents, but he became a social outcast. And, and so the reason why I'm sharing this is because I want you to see and I want you to understand that this is a tense, a tension moment in his story. That currently in this moment, like he is going through it. Like this wasn't just a sentence or a paragraph in his story that stunk. Like he's on chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of his story that, has, that is unfolding that there's this tension that has taken place. And yet, despite the tension, despite the pain that he's going through, that he has gone through, despite it, what we see is that his story is still compelling. Despite the fact that he's a social outcast, he, he was blind from birth, he was rejected from his family, despite all of that, there's something about this story that you just still want to lean in, that's compelling, that you, you, you still want to just like, tell me more. And so what I want us to do in the last minutes that we have together, I want to give you three components to a corrected perspective. Really three, three reasons why this guy's tragedy is so compelling. And I hope that at the end it, it relates to whatever you're facing and whatever season or chapter of life that you're in. But three components. Here's the first one. The first, the first thing is this. It starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. So the first component to a corrected perspective, it starts with Jesus. So as we, as we open up this story in John chapter 9, it says that Jesus noticed and approached him. Isn't that interesting? That it wasn't this, this blind guy that, that went up to Jesus and, and he wasn't like, heal me, fix me. But it said that Jesus first saw him. Jesus approached him. It was Jesus' compassion towards him that drew him, drew Jesus to the blind man. Let me say it this way. This guy's life didn't change until he first encountered, until Jesus encountered him. He was blind and Jesus approached him. Let me say it this way. Jesus initiated his redemption story. So the idea of redemption, fancy word for God saving us from death. So Jesus initiated, he redeemed 
this man's story. He, it was Jesus that was going to redeem this blind man's story. The painful moment, the painful chapters in this guy's life, it was Jesus that initiated it. In John chapter 15, this is the last supper. This is the, the last dinner party that Jesus has with his disciples before he's, he's crucified. And, and, and they're hanging out. This is where Jesus identified uh, Judas as, uh, or he, he identified, hey, someone is going to betray me. This is where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. This is when Jesus uh, changed the definition of love. And then he calls them, they're sitting at this table, and he calls them friends. In John chapter 15, Jesus calls his disciples friends. And I want to read what he says in John chapter 15, verse 16. This is Jesus. He said, you didn't choose me. He said, I chose you. I appointed you. To go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. So what, the reason why I want to share this is, is because I, I, I want us to understand that you didn't choose Jesus. He chose you. You didn't find Jesus. He wasn't lost. He found you. He chose you, and he chose me. He chose us. And then not only did he choose us, but it says he appointed us to do something. And so he chose you, he chose me, to be a friend for a purpose. I love that. It started with Jesus. First component to correct the perspective starts with Jesus. I got to have that encounter with Jesus. And then, and then the second one, second component to a corrected perspective, I then have to respond with obedience. And, and I love this part of the story. So Jesus, he, he, uh, he's like, he goes up to the blind guy and, uh, he, he spits in the dirt, and we, we, we're not going to practice this here, guys. So um, this is probably like just like a Jesus miracle, okay? And so, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he goes up to the guy and, and spits in the dirt, makes mud, and he puts it on, on the guy's eyes. And uh, I actually find this very interesting because as you read the text in John chapter 9, uh, it almost reads as if the guy, the blind guy, it almost reads as if he wasn't even aware that Jesus was coming to heal him. Like when you read it, Jesus is like talking to his disciples. They're like, Jesus, what did this guy do? Oh, he didn't do anything so God can show his, show his power. And, uh, and then it says like, and then Jesus is like, um, while I'm here, I might as well do something. In the very next verse, is, it says that Jesus spit in the, in the dirt and made mud and put on the guy's eye. 
Like it almost reads, as far as we can tell from the text, it almost reads as, as if Jesus just randomly went up to this guy and was like, <laughs> like no warning. No, no. Imagine being the blind guy. You can't see anything. All you hear is. <laughs> all you hear is squish, squish, squish. Right? Like, you're like, what is happening? Someone tell me. But, but it's, as if, it's as if the guy didn't even know. And here's what I want to point out. Sometimes when Jesus wants to do his miracle, you don't even know what's happening. You don't even know what's taking place. And sometimes that's better. Because sometimes if we knew what God was wanting to do, we would try and get in the way. We would want to help him out. Like, hey, maybe don't use spit, Jesus. <laughs> like, maybe we can try something different, Jesus. COVID, Jesus. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh, man. Sometimes we don't even know what Jesus is wanting to do. And I've said this before because sometimes when we feel like it's silent, when we, f when we don't see anything in the natural, we, we, I tend to lose perspective. And because I can't see it, I assume that God is not working. And here's this blind guy. Just standing there, not even expecting a miracle, not even expecting anything in this moment. And yet, he's about to get something that he only dreamed of. All in the midst of a painful situation. Jesus was about to redeem his painful situation. He was about to give purpose to his painful situation so that there would be a powerful story that you and I can read and lean in and say, wow. And so, so here's Jesus. He, he spits and he puts it on this guy's eyes. And in this moment, um, uh, the guy just put yourself in his shoes. He's standing there. He has a loogie with dirt dripping from his eye. <laughs> Only the first couple rows can see that. but um. <laughs> And it's just like dripping. Now imagine, imagine, okay, okay. Because we read, we, we tend to read the Bible and we think everyone is like super old. And we read it, and we think that everybody responds like, oh, okay, okay. Here he is, mud, spit on his eyes. He can't see. Imagine if you're in this crowd and you're watching this happen. You're like, oh! You're like whipping out your iPhone. Facebooking live. Y'all will not believe what's happening. Imagine, he, he can't see. All he can do is hear. 
And I imagine that he's hearing a lot of whispering, like, oh, my gosh, he has spit in his face. <laughs> ah. The little kids, mom, look. What, what I want you to understand is the humiliation that had to have been taking place in this moment. The humiliation of having spit and dirt on your face. And you weren't even expecting it. You weren't even looking for a healing. It just kind of happened. And he has this mud on his face. And then Jesus has the audacity to say, now go wash in this pool. You know what, Jesus? You go wash in the pool. Take your spit. You can have it back. Think about it. Jesus, like, you want me to humiliate myself even more? Like, I already have mud and dirt on my face, and now you're, is this a joke? You want people to be like, ha, ha, ha. Look, he went over there. He did it. April Fool's. He's like, Jesus, you want me to do what? It seems like it's getting progressively worse. The, the tension in this man's story is building. I have spit on my face. And now Jesus, this guy, is like, now go wash. He wants me to go and rip. And, and here's what I'm trying to, to get to you. Is that sometimes my obedience in the middle of a painful situation. Sometimes my obedience in the middle of purpose it seems like it gets progressively worse before it gets better. See, some, sometimes you're, you, you'll come to church and, and you're like, man, you're going through something. And you're like, and, and you, you get encouraged by the worship. You get encouraged by, by the message. You get encouraged by the people out in the lobby that are smiling and giving you coffee and high-fiving you. And you're like, and then nothing changes. Like your situation never changes. In fact, it seems like it gets worse. And you're like, wow, this, this church thing is broken. This Jesus thing is broken. Like I left there with my hopes up, and now I'm just leaving with mud on my eyes. Thanks for inviting me church and and if we're not careful most of us will end up stopping we'll end up saying man this this is not this is not even worth it and we'll walk away because it seems like it's getting messy and it seems like it's more painful but can I encourage you this morning 
to be obedient to what Jesus is saying and keep going, to keep walking it out. I know it seems hard, but keep walking it out. I know that the, the results are not instantaneous, like what you're wanting, but keep walking it out. I know it's getting tired and you're getting weary, but keep walking it out. That, that there is, in the middle of the mess, there is a miracle. Just keep walking it out. And so we're looking at three components to a corrected perspective. Number one, it starts with Jesus. Number two, I respond with obedience. And then we can have the keys come up. And John chapter 9, verse 8, I'm going to land this plane really quick, y'all. Hold on. Hold on tight. John 9, verse 8. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, No, he just looks like him. His doppelganger. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. So it starts with Jesus. I respond with obedience. Here's number three. I got to be committed to my encounter. I got to be committed to my encounter. So it says he was healed. Like he, he actually, he, he walked through the process that Jesus had for him. He, he did the mud. He washed in, in, in the pool. And what do you know? Behold, he could see. Praise God. Woo! But there's always someone who's going to doubt your testimony. There's always someone that's going to doubt your story. There's always someone that's going to try to rip away what Jesus is trying to do, to chip it away. And so the blind man, he comes back. He's no longer blind, and he's just doing his thing, and people are like, hey, isn't that the blind guy? And they're like, no, that's not him. That is definitely not him. I would know that's not him. And the guy was like, no, no, it's me. They're like, no, it's not him. <laughs> no, it's me. I promise you, it's me. No. No, because the guy that we knew, uh, he was blind. The, the couple that I knew, their marriage was horrible. The, the guy that I knew was stuck on meth. Come on. The girl, the guy that I knew was hooking up with everyone. The, the guy that I knew, he, he always, he turned to alcohol with, when he was going through something painful. That's not him. That's not you. No, it's me. It's, it's me. It's really me. I encountered this man, Jesus. I wasn't even looking for anything. And this man, Jesus, he came when I wasn't even expecting it. And he spit in dirt. He put it on my eye, super unconventional. And I washed it off, and then all of a sudden I can see, I know how you've seen me in the past. Come on, somebody. But I'm not the same person. 
I, I know, I know how you've seen me before, but I promise you, I had this encounter with this man named Jesus. And my life's not perfect, but I'm in a process. My life's not perfect, but he's doing something. I'm being obedient. Even in the midst of the mess, I'm being faithful to the miracle that Jesus wants to do in my life. He said, that, that's, not, that's not him. In fact, friends, like it got so bizarre. All of a sudden they brought like the Pharisees. Like the, the upper echelon of the religious people back then. And they brought the Pharisees in and, and, and they were like, tell us, is this truly what happened? And the guy's like, yes, it did. It, it really happened. I really was blind. Then the Pharisees, I love this. Then the Pharisees, they said, uh, they said this is impossible. This can never happen. This could never happen, and I hope that some of you guys will, I hope all of us will have such an encounter with Jesus that when people see your life, they're like, well, this is impossible. This can never happen because I know, I know this was a blind person. And so the Pharisees, the Pharisees, they were like, they were like, no, it's impossible. Let's get this parent, let's get this guy's parents to prove it. So they call his parents and his parents come down, and his, and his parents, they're like, hey, um, is this your son? They're like, yeah. Was he blind? Yes. He's not blind now. And, and there's a part in, in the verse, and I wish I had put it up, but, but there's a part in the verse where it, where it almost, where it says like the parents didn't want to cause any trouble within the religious leaders, so they just went along with it. And so the Pharisees, the, the, the guys that were all intellect, they said this impossible can never happen. Then they got the family, the, the people that would know him the best. And they're like, yeah, it's, you know what, we don't know what's happening, we don't understand. And I think it's very interesting that this blind guy, he had to stand in the midst of his story with people who were intellectual and people who were family that knew him the best. And he had to stand firm in his story, in the life transformation of, what, of the encounter that he had with Jesus. And he had to stand there and he had to decide, am I going to stick with my story? Or am I going to allow people who are smarter than me to tell me it's not happening? Or I'm going to let my family, who, who's a different religion, who doesn't even love Jesus, tell me that it's fake? Or am I just going to stand here, stand firm, knowing that what I encountered that day was real? You can't tell me otherwise. And I love his response, and then we're done. Verse 24. So for the second time, they, they being the Pharisees, 
called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Verse 25, the guy says this, the blind guy that's no longer blind, the unblind guy, said this, I don't know whether he is a sinner, but I know this. I once was blind, but now I see. <laughs> they're, they're like, hey, this Jesus guy, he's a sinner. He's like, he, like, and the guy's like, I don't know. I can't. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I, I just met him. My friends literally just invited me to church one Sunday. I don't even know what's happening. I don't even know what's going on. All I know is that I once was blind, but now I see. I... I was once blind, but now I see. Listen, I can't explain the eschatology of numerology, of Christology, of, 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 of like how God did this or did that, and I can't explain. I can't even quote all the books of the Bible. Uh, like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to do these things. I don't even know how to worship. I don't even know if I can go like this or like this or like this. Like, I don't know the correct posture. I don't know the ins and outs of Christianity. I can't explain it, but I know one thing, that I once was blind, but now I see. I can't explain it, but just because I can't explain it doesn't mean it's not part of my story. Friends, I want you this morning to understand that God is writing your story. And I know that, that we all have painful moments, but God wants to add purpose to it. Not to diminish what you've gone through, but to help you to see it in a different way. Because he understands that painful stories make for the most powerful stories. 